Dusky goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he's scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We're back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We've got a host of topics for you today, but with me as always, the Klopp and Guardiola tantrum to my Premier League Christmas break schedule, Billy. All right, guys, we've got a whole host of things to discuss this week, including a typical United comeback on the South Coast, an upset in a Dortmund v FC Köln game, a Friday night thriller in the Bundesliga, and we play a game of The Price is Right. Should we start with the Friday night thriller from the Bundesliga? Oh, you don't get much better football than that, do you? It is just back and forth, open from start to finish. You got everything. You got eight goals. You got a red card. (laughs) Um, You got own goals. What more do you want? Yeah, it wasn't one for those those people that love watching defensive-minded football. Yeah, but who likes that? Well, you know, if you're a center, if you're a center half, or if you're if you're a defender or a goalkeeper, it might have been a bit hard to watch an eight-goal game. I, I'm I'm speaking as a goalkeeper. I really couldn't care less if I'm watching football. I want to see goals, man. Touche. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It's also not what you'd expect exactly because judging by Bremen's performance against Bayern last weekend, you would have thought, hmm, maybe they can actually get something from this match. And even though Wolfsburg have shown that they are definitely contenders for Europa League places at the very least, it's a match that Bremen definitely could have won. And I know judging by the scoreline and the way the game went back and forth, that seems a bit far-fetched, but going into this match, I think Blim would definitely have thought, you know, a point at least, if not all three, should be what we're taking away from this. Yeah, Wolfsburg looked there for the taking, and it was the start of the second half that was the most interesting to watch because <laughs> they came out absolutely... Werder Bremen came absolutely steaming out of that second half. And... Milo Ratchets uh, plays that ball in. I I don't know what John Brooks is doing. Uh, he's he's had what we love to call a moment of madness in in his own box. I mean, it's just not something that any centre back ever wants to see or ever wants to experience. To be fair to him, he did score his, score a goal himself in the first half. So you have to you have to see that you know at least he hasn't screwed it up all the way, but, you know, starts off the second half pretty well, makes it three all. But I, I don't understand what's going on at Bremen because they do concede a lot of goals. Yeah, you're not wrong. It's, I mean, funnily enough, against Bayern, they managed to score, sorry, score, the, against Bayern, they managed to only concede one goal. They did manage to score, obviously. Uh, but it is not exactly, you know, a wall at the back, if you know what I mean. You know, 15 goals conceded in nine matches. It could be worse, but it could also be better. 
seeing as they've only scored 13, you know, minus two goal difference is not the greatest thing to have. But I think it's a far cry from where they were last season, uh, looking purely at results, at their losing streak, at how they've struggled to find form for 32 out of the 34 matches played last season. Yeah, and they've not, it's not a bad team they've got. No, by no means. Like, and they've got a more than competent goalkeeper in Pavlenka. They've got experience at the back with Toprak. Yeah. And then going forward, you know, Milo Ratchet's uh, and Leonardo, Leonardo Bittencourt. I mean, there's enough I mean, there to comfortably be top half of the table. Yes, definitely. I think Bittencourt is that player that everyone in Germany, when he was in the under-21s, Everyone in Germany was like, ah, you know, he'll he'll probably earn himself a move to one of the top clubs in Germany at some point. He kind of stagnated in his form a little bit and, you know, bounced around mid-table clubs. But for a team like Bremen, definitely someone to have. It's going to be sad when Bremen inevitably do sell Milo Ratchitsa because they just need the cash. As sad as it sounds, they're going to sell him because of much needed cash in this uh, pandemic. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's gone in the winter. And in that situation, that just means you won't get the money that you want for him. If you're forced to sell, then you're going to get cut price, 20 million. Yeah, definitely. When he could easily go for 40 with a player of his quality, because he's hurt teams... Yeah, I mean, he showed against Bayern his deep runs down the wing, he, especially with the high line that Bayern played. Uh, he was he was doing some damage, and he was definitely giving uh, their fullbacks a lot of thinking and a lot of running to do. And he's done the same against other top teams, and he showed it last season. So I think Brim, 100% going to be sad to see him go, but they will have to sell at some point it's, it's horrible when things like that happen because he could be there for years and he could be like a club legend but and he, yeah and he could help blame to their to their former glory status you know this is a team who 10 years ago were still in the position that uh Abby Leipzig are in right now you know the third big team in Germany and you know there were times when they had Mulesaf Klose um Ayrton, Torsten Frings. I mean, these are guys who were top of or starting for the German national team and unreal players. And Bremen, they, I mean, they, they won a Bundesliga title in the early 2000s for crying out loud. Well, funny you mention a team of amazing players. <laughs> what on earth happened to Dortmund? I mean, you said it perfectly because they went into this match with the full starting eleven. You know, they had Haaland, they had Sancho, Royce, Brandt, Witze, Hummels, Akanji. You know, the only maybe the only slight surprise was maybe uh, Felix Paslak at left back, but other than that, they were full on. You know, it's a team that has Bundesliga title winning quality if they could put down their quality on the pitch every single week. And that's, I think, the big 
question mark when it comes to Dortmund and when it comes to their title aspirations is they have the team, they have the squad, but can they do it consistently? And so far they've shown consistency is still a factor that they are missing because if you're losing 2-1 to a Köln team that so far this season have not won and their last win stretches back almost as far as, you know, Schalke's losing streak. No, it's not ideal, is it? But No, no, not like, by any means. We were talking about Manuel Neuer yesterday, and I said, mm. you know, you can make all the amazing saves you want, but it'll be that, that little P-roller that'll beat him into the, into the far corner, and this is Dortmund's P-roller. Yeah, I think if we're talking the literal sense of the goals themselves, Roman Burki can't really be put at fault for them because it was an exact copy. Both goals were copies of each other. It was a long, a long cross. For some reason, all of Dortmund's defenders decide they're going to jump forward and all move forward at the same time, leaving the back post completely exposed and free. I mean, it doesn't get much harder to watch defensively than that. Like you, you just have to you just have to ask such serious questions of who's organizing that defense. You know, we always say Mats Hummels is by far one of the most experienced center backs in Europe. You know, he's won a World Cup, he's won German titles. It shouldn't be happening to a defense organized by a man of that caliber. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna make that point. Like maybe you could say there's a lack of experience in title winning situation in title charge situations, but Marco Royce played, Mats Hummels played. I mean you can even argue that Thomas Mounier Yeah having won what he had with PSG. Yeah, definitely. I mean you you also have to see that twice the same player, Skiri was left completely unmarked in that situation. It wasn't just everyone moving forward. It was also, you know, you leave the man completely unmarked. And, you know, he's he's a center mid. So he's not going to, he's not your first choice when it comes to scoring goals. It's, it is just poor play. And going forward, we have to talk about that Haaland miss. You'd put your house on it. You'd put your life on it. He's two yards out from goal. He's got no one in front of him. And and he actually manages to put it wide. I mean, it just goes to show that even Haaland, the machine, is only human. He's in such a like, rich vein of form as well, scoring how many goals and how many. Like, it's ridiculous. He scored four and then he scored two and then three. It's like... I think since his move to from Salzburg to Dortmund, it was something like 33 matches and 35 goals. There we go. Oh, it's, but then again, that's... He'll he, he learn from that. And it also fit perfectly with the way Dortmund's game went in general. Like, it, it was a perfect metaphor. A clear... Like, a clear win on paper for Dortmund. Like, Everyone's betting on Dortmund. And then the upset. 
Same with Hadan. Everyone's betting that he's going to make that thing. And then the upset, he puts it wide. It's, it's one of those you can't... I mean, let, let's not take credit away from FC Kuhn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They credit Give credit where it's due because that was a pure fight, as you would expect from a team that is in, that is in the bottom third of the table. And, you know, they really showed that we want out of the situation we're in and we are prepared to go every... We're, we're prepared to go down to the last minute, to the last second to fight and win. And you saw what it meant to them after the final whistle was blown. I mean, they were jump, they were jumping up and down as if they won a title. That's the thing. It was like, oh, you, yeah, he's like, yeah, you've got, you've got three points. That's great. You're now out of the bottom three. And, you know, any other team, if that was buying, it would just be like, well, we're done. Let's, you know, clap hands and move on. But that was elation. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I think we have to move on to one more Bundesliga match because we do have a slightly tight schedule today. But I think it's hard to leave out a three-all thriller in Berlin, especially looking at the way the match started between Union and Eintracht Frankfurt because it got off to a rocket start. You know, second minute, 1-0. Union, sixth minute, penalty, Union again up 2-0 inside of six minutes. And against the Frankfurt team, you were backing to win. Yeah, it's just, it's just been so many upsets. Because to be 2-0 down in six minutes for that Frankfurt team must be like, oh, Christ, hello. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rude wake-up call to the reality pretty much. To be fair, that one mistake from Kevin Trapp where he bobbles the uh, the cross, which, you know, on any normal day, Kevin Trapp claims that, keeps hold of it, no questions asked. But that game, he has, you know, for Kevin Trapp, he's pro- he, is, he is, I wouldn't say he's an unreal exceptional goalkeeper, but he's a quite solid and he is a very good goalkeeper and he's also consistent. And that's the first mistake I've seen made by him in a while, which I think is commendable. But of course, a mistake like that shouldn't happen. You know, it's a ball right at you and he let it, lets it bounce off his chest instead of claiming it concedes. But then he do, you have to say he turns fortunes around because Frankfurt could easily have been down 3-4-0 in the first half hour. Yeah, I'm not 100%, I'm not 100% sure what they were doing it was almost <laughs> like they didn't turn out for 25 30 minutes and it, max cruz who i i do believe was on this very podcast that i said maybe someone like union berlin could use him yeah okay you can i, I i'm gonna let you milk that for all it's worth like just keep knocking it over the course of the season just keep telling just keep saying it just keep saying it <laughs> oh don't you worry and when he eventually you know does something spectacular for them i will be bringing it public and saying look i want recompense well you say when he does something spectacular does does it get any more spectacular than his second goal where he nails it top corner to tie it up in you know the dying moments of the match 
And how much better does it have to get for you to for you to go public? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Bastos just scores to make it three two, and everyone's thinking, okay, we'll just hold back. Three minutes later, an absolute peach into the top corner. I mean, he just he lets it slide across his across the laces just that tad bit, so that it has the perfect finesse to make it unreachable for Kevin Trapp. You know those things go around on Twitter. You know what isn't art, but is art. Yeah, <laughs> that is art. Definitely, definitely. Just, just to also mention the guy, the boy Andre Silva, who everyone was scratching their heads as to who this guy was when he was traded for Ante Rebic. You have to say he's uh, he's definitely proven his worth now. You know, scores a brace to put Frankfurt right back in it in the span of seven minutes. And they're not bad goals either. No, he's a good player. And he went to Milan and it didn't really work out. But some players need to have, like, comfort. And I think he's settled in now at Frankfurt. It wasn't great in his first few matches but you settle down and now it's very okay let's do this because he was good at Porto but then he only come through at Porto so he was comfortable there yeah I guess he's one of those Hamas Rodriguez type players you know he needs that he needs that comfort level yeah and you can't say that it was an expectation thing at Milan because when he went to Milan they were crap for lack of a better word (laughs) Something which they are definitely not at the minute. Do you know what? It's actually kind of beautiful to see. Oh, especially with Ibrahimovic at oh, age 39, bagging one goal after another. But we aren't on this podcast to talk about Serie A. We are on this podcast to talk about Bundesliga. And now we move on to the Premier League. And I'll leave you, leave you with the choice of match which we talk about first. Okay, we'll, we'll get it out of the way. <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk classic comeback. I mean, do we talk classic United comeback or classic Cavani comeback? Because he's the reason that United actually took those three points, like almost single handedly. I-, I love him. <laughs> okay. Of course you do. Of course. I I don't wanna like like keep repeating myself and keep saying things, but it's that classic number nine that we've not had. In Arguably years. since Lukaku. Not even that, because he wasn't. It wasn't that typical number nine. Are we are we going to say that Lukaku isn't a typical number nine? Because I would put him down as one. We can, they, I mean, we can have this argument another day, but I don't think he makes that movement for the second goal that he scores. Ooh, okay, okay. I guess we'll have to table this argument for another day because, because of the time constraints. But, you know, what was going on with United first half, basically? Uh, okay. <laughs> you, you know, when you get that feeling that it's not going to be your day, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, bef- in that first half, I'll talk about Southampton goals in a minute, but in that first half, Mason Greenwood misses 
a, a somewhat open goal from a, a difficult angle, but you would normally back him to put it away. Yeah. Then Alex McCarthy passes it to Greenwood, saves Greenwood's shot, and then from close range, it's a great save, saves from Fernandez. And he, I sat there and was like, oh, it's just not going to happen, is it? We're just not going to score. It's just the luck is not on, on United's side, is it? No. And then it's so stupid because you know how dangerous Ward Prowse is from set pieces. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've lost, lost our collective shit about Ward Prowse. I mean, really lost our heads more than once on this podcast watching him. But yeah, the corner was good, but that free kick was better. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And of course, De Gea injured himself, but I don't think you could put two goalkeepers in there. And it was so inch perfect. Yeah, yeah. And they were cruising. They looked so good for that lead. And then they did the Southampton thing. <laughs> Is it bad that you already call it the Southampton thing? Well, I'm not, I'm not like slagging them off. I'm not criticizing. I'm just, it's just what happens. Yeah, and yeah. Saints fans will know what I'm on about. It's, they come out of the, the blocks at the start. They come out so quickly and they press so high. And the energy is so high. But they can't sustain it for 90. It drops off. And Jermaine Genius made a good point yesterday that if you can stay in the game against Southampton, they're going to drop off and they're going to give you chances. And once Fernandez's goal went in with half an hour to go, it just completely fell apart. They were just lumping it long. There was no press. There was no game plan. Is that down to the manager or the culture at Saints? I don't want to say it's down to the culture at Saints, but it kind of is. But it's down to the culture that Ralph Hasenhutl has installed because of how high the energy levels are and how quickly they come out and get in people's faces. I mean, to be fair... Hasenhüttl at Leipzig did much the same. It was rocket starts, but for some reason, Leipzig, I mean, maybe they were just physically coached better. I don't know. But for some reason, Leipzig managed to deal with that pressure better and also deal with the, with the, amount of, with the work rate better so that they can manage to do it over 90 minutes. That being said, I think Leipzig back under Hasenhüttl still also showed that slight bit of, mm, can they do this for 90 minutes? Sometimes they definitely showed that, you know, after half an hour, players were already kind of like, it's been a freaking half and it's not even over yet. That's the thing. And I, I can't remember much of Hasenhüttl's Leipzig, but I think the thing probably that I could criticize Southampton most for is the strength of their bench. Mm. It's not, you know, when your only realistic option to bring off the bench is Shane Long. That's just not enough, is it? No. You know, Michael Obafemi's good, but he's not, he's just not going to terrify people. And I think when you look at a team like United, who can bring Edinson Cavani off the bench, 
and have the impact that he did. Like, what more can I say? Like, he completely changed that game. He give he gave the attack a focal point, and it was just oh, it was beautiful. And all this at age thirty three. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, the second foul cow, and I mm-hmm. will not hear it. Yeah. <laughs> And I think he's earned, so. some res- he's earned some respect, and I—I I don't. I mean, I can't not mention this. It's a bit of a negative to end on the game, but he did put that social media post out with that phrase. <sighs> it's difficult because he probably will get banned by the FA now. So you're gonna have to remind me of this phrase. I'm not gonna say it. But if you just look on Twitter, he's uh, typing Cavani social media oh post or something like that. But it, in, in Uruguay, apparently it means something else. But I don't know. It looks pretty bad. So uh, what a way to celebrate getting a Premier League brace and winning a game 3-2 is to get suspended by the FA. Oh, boy. Not great. No, really isn't. Mm, really isn't. Not not in uh not in times of uh 2020. Which uh ooh ooh, especially with the connotation that, that you know that was exactly what Luis Suarez said to Patrice, Patrice Evra. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's not it's not great. So that'll be a ban. Yeah, I could see that that'll be a solid ban by the FA. Solid two, three match band, probably. Oh, come on, man. I mean, we already were going to talk. We already had one one dickhead on this podcast we have to talk about later on. But, you know, he makes a second. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Well, moving on from that very, from that ugly note. Liverpool versus Brighton was also a match similar to Dalton v. Köln, where everyone had Liverpool pegged to, you know, take the three points, for lack of a better phrase. And it didn't really go according to plan, did it? No, it didn't. And I know Liverpool fans are going to be, oh, well, VAR this and VAR that, and I'm sick and tired of moaning about it at this point i mean it is hard to argue with with the liverpool fan base when you look at the goal that salah scored which was supposedly offside it's just i'm like you're not even shocked anymore you just expect it like it's like oh yeah that's a really good goal but is he going to be offside you, you it's ruining the experience at this point because there's there's no it's just so unclear yeah it's 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 not just unclear it's it i mean unclear is probably putting it nicely it's literal uncertainty every time there is any like there's any questionable passage of play leading up to the goal it could be you know a uh a shoulder to shoulder where you're like "Mm, don't know about that one chief because uh 
that one might as well be flagged as being a foul in the run-up. Or mm, he could be, and this is what gets me because we, we talked about this a few episodes back, a toe offside, are you kidding me? I mean, I get yeah, yeah, that, yeah, the rule is if a par- part of a player's body that can score goals is offside, then it you know should be flagged offside. But are you, like, if you're going to go down to the millimeter, you know, let the game live a little. Yeah, I get that. But it's also a bit of a double-edged sword because if you, if you change the rule and you say, look, we're going to give some leniency to the attacker, then you've got every defender in the league going, well, hang on. If he's ahead of me, that's offside. And then you have every attacker going, oh, well, that's a fantastic decision. Well done. Well, yeah, obviously, that's, that is a massive problem if you were to change the rule book. What I'm saying is the fact that VAR is now is measuring it down to the millimeter, you know, without VAR, would we have had those goals ca- uh, even called? Because they're so, you know, with, with a referee's eye, you can't see the goal. I mean, I know there's no perfect way to solve the problem because taking away VAR is too drastic. But it is still, you know, a point of contention, if you will. Yeah, it needs to be refined. And, but I don't think Klopp can have any complaints about the penalty that Andy Robinson no. gives away. I mean, he kicks Danny Welbeck. He misses the ball and kicks Danny Welbeck's foot. It is clear as day. I don't know why he's moaning about it. No, oh, just he. Re- I I like Jurgen Klopp. I really do. I think it's a great manager, but he really did. It just rubbed me the wrong way. <laughs> and I can see why. Post-match interviews, right on TV. How long are they normally? Couple minutes. Tops. <laughs> my man <laughs> it was like eight minutes talking to des kelly and fair play to des kelly for sticking with it he was like well some oh. of the i you know i spoke to i think it might have been james milner and he was like yeah. oh well he said to me that some of the brighton players said it wasn't a penalty what do you think he was like oh well if i stand here and say it wasn't if i stand here and say it was a definite penalty then you've got nothing to talk about so i'm gonna say it was a penalty how does that feel it's like mate don't <laughs> be magnanimous just don't be a dick just, yeah yeah just say it was a penalty because it is just clear as day he kicks his foot i mean if that penalty is not given what do you think the south with the sorry the brighton fans are going to be saying uh is someone in the var room clapped in the head exactly you can't look at that and go no, that's not a penalty because huh? he misses the ball and just kicks Danny Welbeck. Yeah. And they were lucky to to draw that game, Liverpool. Because Neil Mope, 98% of the time, buries those penalties. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you can't... The thing is, you can't moan about either penalty that Liverpool can see because the first one's just sloppy defensive play. Like, you don't have to mow someone over in that fashion, especially from behind. It's just yeah. sloppy the play. Is, they're going to have more moments like that until they get some fit senior centre-halves because having a back four of Nathaniel Phillips, Fabinho, Neko Williams and James Milner. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal, I know, but, you know, we've already been through this topic at this point. Liverpool now just have, you know, they've been dealt a unbelievably crappy hand, but they're going to have to deal with it, as sad as it sounds. Well, sticking with the poker analogy, Liverpool's ace in the hole, Diogo Jota. Oh, I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to be honest, did we think that he was going to have this much of an impact? Oh, definitely. Hell no. <laughs> no, definitely not. But that's why Liverpool got him in. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think anyone. I'm, I don't even think Jossa was expecting to play as much as he has done already. But yeah, but if he's he's proving to be so much better than Firmino has been in the last season. See, that's the thing. If, if I was Klopp, I'd play uh, Yotta through the middle. Yeah. Put Salah and Mane on the wings. That's a very, very fearsome front three. You know, because I've been quite vocal in my... Not criticism. I just don't understand the hype around Roberto Firmino. But I can understand the hype around Diogo Jota because he's consistently scoring goals and consistently scoring really, really nice ones as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, he does kind of sit Brighton's whole defense down with his run from one side of the box to the other. And he did it for Wolves. He did it a couple times. A couple, two seasons ago, I think it was. United played Wolves twice in the space of like four days and he did it twice in four days. (laughs) We played them in the league, lost. Played them in the FA Cup, lost. Lost. He sits sits players down with such ease. He's so agile. And for someone, I think it's difficult for people to forget he's only like 23. Yeah. Uh, He he gives everyone the the thought that he's... 25 at least, 26, you know, a seasoned player. That's the thing. He just does things with such experience. It's almost like he knows he's going to break some ankles. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Well, I think that concludes our segment on this previous match day's action. And now it's time for... One quick round of what really grinds our gears, and it has to be talked about. Former German national team player, Steffen Freund, went on the Sport Doppelpass, which is a very popular football talk show in Germany. And, of course, Schalke's miserable run of form was commented on. They managed to lose 4-1 at the weekend again. and he made a comment about the players who were suspended, uh, Nabil Bentaleb, Amin Harit, um, and Vedat Ibizovic. And he said specifically that, you know, the players who were suspended were players that were only after money and not after, you know, working hard and giving everything for the club, which if he had stuck to this part of, part of a statement, no questions asked. But he goes on to say that it is because they are players from North Africa. How you can pull just a statement of that nature 
in 2020 is beyond me. I, I don't know what, what else has to happen for people to get it through their heads that this kind of crap is not okay anymore. I, I'm baffled. I've, I've watched it and I don't, it's just the brazen way. He just, it's like he, be, he, he fully believes what he's saying as well. That's the worst part. Like there's conviction with his words and that's terrifying. Yeah, I, I, I'm baffled. And the worst bit is, is there have actually been comments defending him and saying, oh, you know, you get done for racism with everything you say in 2020. Like this is, this is, this is what Trump supporters do in America. I mean, this isn't a 2020 thing. This is a racism thing. And if you're going, oh well, if this was a couple years ago, he wouldn't be sele- he wouldn't be criticized. I was like, yes, he would. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Definitely, definitely. I think you know. I think the 2020 argument is that you know, with the amount of, um, the amount or the way racism has been covered in 2020, I think it's definitely got more of a voice now, and it's also been given more of a platform, um, in the sense that it's been it's been talked about more and it's been recognized as a major issue more than in previous years. That's what I meant when I said, you know, especially in 2020. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. And I just, has there, has there been any comment from. He's officially apologized um, for, for his words, but you know, I, I mean, that's out. It's for one, it's out there. It is out there forever. And it is out there permanently because this is the internet this is the internet guys this is not you know him shooting his mouth off at the pub this is uh this is live on air television that's going to be archived for generations and i'm not gonna lie he needs to at least be suspended from his job if not fired i think the only way to really go go about this is is a sacking yeah yeah because apology or not, it's I. It's not con. It's not ignoring it if you suspend him, but it kind of is. It's kind of like that. Oh, slap on the wrist. Don't don't you do that again? Yeah, it's a it's a similar deal with the um, racist remarks that the Schalke owner Clemens Tunyus made um, on a, on or at a at a uh, fan event. Of, about a year ago now, he was only suspended for three months and many Schalke players called for a sacking after he made some racist remarks about players from Africa in general. And, you know, he passed it off as, yeah, I'm not racist. And, you know, it was just, you know, a slip of the tongue and whatnot. And Schalke decided to let him come back to his position as uh, owner and chairman. And, well, not owner, sorry. He, but or he come back to his position of chairman, and it's just it is just as you said, you know, a suspension is a slap on the wrist. Don't you do that again? It's it's almost in that situation you've got to completely disregard anything they have done previously that's positive for the club or for wherever, and just go look. You may have done this, this, and this, but we can't. You can't do that. Uh, it is just, that's what, yeah, exactly. It's just, 
baffling to me how you can pull a stunt like that. It's just, oh. And, you know, I, I would have liked to think that at least in Europe, you know, we've got a little bit more decency. You know, racism definitely is a problem in Europe as well. No doubt about that. But I would have thought there was a little more decency than, it, than, than in the U.S. Uh, under Trump. And you just have to say, you just have to say that, you know, the, the problem of racism exists everywhere and it's not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. And it's not a problem that is going to be solved in the next couple of months. And, you know, it is something where you have to be ever vigilant of it. And, you know, it also gets me, the thing is no one in the whole panel said anything to him on air. Just, yeah. Oh, it is. It is so disgraceful. It just doesn't put anything about that whole talk show in a good light. It doesn't put any. I mean, it, it, to a certain extent, it even puts Germany in a bad light. Like, you know, Jesus. Well, it'll be interesting to see what does happen, even if he has already apologized. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there has to be some reaction. He's a co-commentator for Ger- one of Germany's biggest news networks, RTL, for German national team matches. If he's still commentating on there, then I'm going to lose my shit. I, I don't want to be negative, but I think you might. I think he might be. Just because of the way... The, the fact the- that he's apologized... Yeah, it's it's all very oh yeah, but he did apologize though. Oh, that 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 just fuels my hate fire. <laughs> well, oh. Shall we finish with something a bit fun? Yes, please. I I I need something to take my mind. Otherwise, I'm gonna have crap mood all day. Well, let's let's change that then, shall we? So, Friday was Black Friday. Oh yes. Today, Monday, is Cyber Monday. I didn't know that was a thing. I've forgotten that was a thing, but yes, it is a thing. Let's talk bargains in football. Let's play The Price is Right. So I'm going to give you two players. And I want you to tell me how much you think they cost to move to their current teams. So the first one is Cesar Azpilicueta from yep. Marseille to Chelsea in 2012. 395 games, 13 goals, 50 assists. In that time, he's won two Premier Leagues, an FA Cup, a League Cup, and two Europa Leagues. It's not a bad little trophy cabinet he's got going there, is it? And... um. I have to make a solid. Do I have to make a ballpark or 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 an or very accurate guess? So just one figure. Oh, uh, just one figure. One figure. Eleven million. No. Almost half that. You're joking. Six point five. That is perfectly half that, but okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. Oh, Jesus Christ. I can't do math. 5.5 would have been half that. Sorry Lord, for our... Jesus. Well, 
I think it's pretty evident that I'm not a mathematics scholar here, but uh, wow, five, 6.5 million. Oof, that's nothing. For, for, for a player that's been there eight years and consistently been their best defender. Yeah, yeah. Club captain, leader in the... He's just everything you want. And he joined as... I think he was a, a, a right back when he started. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's been class for Chelsea. And for he six really point, has. Six, 6.5 million. I think some of the money Chelsea have spent on crap. Even some of the money they've spent on relatively good players. You know, I mean, Ben Chilwell, they spent 56 million on him. Oh, yeah, he's, a, he's a solid player, but still. That's because he's got the England tax on him, though. Ah, okay, fair enough. Okay, I've got one for you. Oh, hit me. Robin Van Persie, when he moved from Feyenoord Rotterdam to Arsenal, how much do you think Arsenal got him for? He was quite young at the time, wasn't he? Relatively. Um, Early 20s. Yeah, he was. Come on. This was the early 2000s? 2004. Oh, I'm going to say... Do you know what? I'm going to be... I'm going to be quite quite generous. I'm going to say eight and a half million. I get a little bit more than a quarter of that, and then you're you're good to go. Two point seven five million pounds. Seriously. And, and Feyenoord wanted five mil. Even that would have made you know a solid wave. But two point seven five million. Just to think of the player that Robin Van Persie turned out to be. Jesus Christ. That's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And people, the thing is, people are still picking up bargains now. Like Andy Robertson joined from joined Liverpool from Hull, and it was like eight million, yeah, seven I mean, million or something like that. And it's like, okay, you've now got one of the best left backs in the league. Yeah, in the league, in the world, I'd say. Ridiculous. Unreal. Well, there we go. Something nice to end on. Oh, yeah. A little bit of The Price is Right. A little round of that. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, comment on social media and Spotify, our RSS feed. They're all in a link tree in our bio on Instagram. Follow us at AT Sports News. But that's all from us this week. Thanks for, thanks for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.